What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So hey, for the next seven weeks, uh, we are going to be in these seven churches. And um, <clears throat> Will, I don't know if you had that, that picture from uh, last week where we threw up the seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, which is now uh, Turkey. As you can see them right there, those are all real churches, and so each week we're going to spend time in a church. Um, also, <clears throat> these were actual churches, right? This isn't like make-believe. These are historical uh, churches that were really, really there. And so um, Jesus wrote to them. And what's interesting with these churches is over the past 2,000 years, each one of these churches actually describes the church age for 2,000 years. Now, we're not going to get into that today because it'd be a little bit off topic and we don't have time, but we will come back to that so you can see that the Word of God is just absolutely mind-blowing of how God describes uh, the church age with very precise uh, clarity so that your faith will begin to arise and you can trust and see that, wow, God has clearly laid this out. So not only is it a specific church, but it also speaks to the different church ages that we've been through over the last 2,000 years since Christ descend, ascended um, to heaven. And so I want you to look at Revelation 2, verse 7, please. And here, Jesus, he's speaking, and he says this phrase, and I'd like you to highlight it, please. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, capital S, says to the churches. Now, What's interesting is that that is plural, but if you go back up to 2 verse 1, it says to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So in 1, it's talking to the church in Ephesus, but at this verse down here that we just read, it's talking to the church is. Now, what is extremely important for us to get, to grasp, to understand is that this is, these letters, not only do they speak to the individual churches, but they speak to every church at all time forever. And so if we're going to hear today, if we're going to really hear what the Spirit is saying, we don't need to think of, okay, that was Ephesus' problem. It's not our problem. No, we need to engage the text as if the Spirit is speaking to the churches and one church amongst many in the world, is bow down. So my fellow Bowdownians, we want to listen as if God is writing to us. And we want to listen and say, Holy Spirit, please speak. Now, what's interesting, if you could go down to Revelation 2, uh, verse 11, Look at what it says. Who has an ear to ear, an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then go down to 217, please. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 2.29, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 3.6, Revelation 3.6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3.13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3.22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Plural, every single time. Jesus is saying the same thing every time. Why? Hey, guys, listen. Newsflash, you don't listen. Remember your mom? When are you going to listen to me? How many times do I got to tell you to clean your room? Uh, Maybe that's just my mom. Because I hear, but I don't listen. I hear, but I don't listen. I would like you to keep your place here in Revelation chapter 2. And I want to go over a few reasons why we don't listen very well. And again, myself including, we don't listen. Matthew 15, please. Matthew chapter 15. And this is Jesus talking, and he's, he's talking to the religious leaders of the day, the good old church folk of the day, and he's speaking to them. And he's going to make a statement that says, you can't hear my word because of something. Matthew 15, verse 6, it says, for the sake of your what? Traditions. Hello. Sometimes we can be so enamored by the wineskin that we forget about the wine. We can be so enamored by what the church is doing and the structure of the church and how the money's being spent and this and that. We forget about the purpose of the church. We get caught up in our traditions. And when we're so focused on our traditions that, hey, this is being done right, this is being done right, it makes void the word of God. Look at what that says. It makes void the word of God. Basically, people are not hearing what they should hear because of their religion. And Jesus goes on, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Just place your hand over your heart if you feel led. Oh, Jesus, bring that fire again on my heart. I do not want my heart to be far from you. need you, God. Save me from myself. He keeps going in vain do they worship me. In vain do they worship me. I just don't like the music there. I just don't like that stuff. Be very careful. Because you're worshiping apart from your heart. You're focused on the wrong thing. Some of the greatest worship that I ever heard was the underground church in China. 
where in the Hunan province, they snuck us in because if we would have been caught, we would have been in trouble. And we were there, and early in the morning, these people had no instruments, had nothing. They wore the same clothes to the conference every three days because they lived in extreme poverty. But it was a room with about 70 people packed in, and they were singing for two hours straight. Hey, hey, and they were just joy and full and passion and fire and yeah. And there was no instruments. What did the joker say? Are you not entertained? I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes 5, please. Oh God, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to be caught up in just religious tradition. I just don't want to just do the attendance thing. I just I don't want to be focused on the non-essential things. I want to press into you, Jesus. I want to be in love with you, Jesus. I want to kiss towards you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Ecclesiastes 5. Verse 1, it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Think about that for a second. When you walked in this place, did you guard your steps? I'm coming in to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is a certain attitude when you come before a king. It says, draw near to listen. It's better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Why does our church spend more time and worship on the back end than the front end? Because most of the time, people just flippantly walk in and just start singing to Jesus, and we don't realize who we're speaking to. And when the word of God comes, and it's like a hammer that breaks the rock, it causes us To remember that he is holy, he is good, he is worthy, he is worthy, he is worthy. Be not rash, verse 2, with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness. And a fool's voice with many words. You know, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And it wasn't a big, long prayer. Hallowed be your name, Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom, your kingdom. Let it come. Let it be done. Your will, just like in heaven. Letting our words be few. Dallas Willard says that the most important word in the Bible is the word hear. I would think it was Jesus, but anyway, I'm not Dallas Willard. I'm kidding. He would say that too. Hear, hear, hear. Why? Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one. 
Hear, O Israel. Romans chapter 10, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus was saying constantly while he walked the earth, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And here we are in Revelation 7, every single church, he's calling us to say, listen, ask the Holy Spirit so that you really hear. And a lot of time our tradition makes void the word of God because we say, oh, the book of Revelation, yeah, I know all that. Yeah, I've studied that. Yeah, I got this here. And we become so full of knowledge that we think that we got it already. And that kind of posturing, that kind of tradition, that kind of uh, thinking that, oh, I got this, I got this, I took this class, I got this ministry degree, all of that. Listen, all of that means nothing to God. And the person who's been walking with God and really has the book of Revelation down and really grasps it, really understands it, and the person doesn't know anything about it, but there's this heart of expectation. Oh, I want to hear from you, God. I want to hear from you, God. Which one was better off? So one who is walking with a desire. I want to hear, God, what your spirit is saying. Not a person that already, already knows this. We act like we already know we're not listening. So, God, we need you. Forgive us for not being good listeners, myself included. Thank you for reminding me today. This week, actually, that what I think I know, often I don't know. Jesus, forgive us when we've closed our ears off where we have not wanted to listen when our religion has made this walk with you something that it's not. Forgive us, God. We ask, God, that you would supernaturally just remove anything today that is hindering us, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We say yes, God, to this directive that you gave the church in Ephesus and that you gave every church because, God, we want to be people that really do hear. And so we stand now in faith in your promise because you declared in John 10 that my sheep, they know my voice. In a stranger's voice, they'll not follow. So we say yes to your promise, Jesus. You are going to do it in us. Help us to listen today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go through this here. Revelation 2, verse 1. It says, to the angel, it could also be translated messenger, now, there's two different um, commentaries concerning this. Uh, one is an angel, like there's a the real, like, little angel over the specific churches. And some people believe the angel means the pastor of the churches, all right? 
And so I like the second one better, right? I wanna, who wouldn't want to be an angel? So, uh, yeah, I'll take that. I'll put that on my business card. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, today, it doesn't matter, all right? We'll get into that later. I'm going to move right by that, all right? We'll talk about it later. To the church in Ephesus. And you, you want to put over Ephesus the best church. The best. It was the best. It was the mega, ega, ega, ega church. And I want you to write to them the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I want you to highlight who walks among the seven golden lampstands because I'm going to have you flip back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. It says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. On turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And remember, I had you last week write churches above the lampstands in your Bible so that you remembered what, what, what was being said there. Because in verse 20 of chapter 1, it talks about that. It gives us the clue. Revelation is not hard to understand. It's really easy. Verse 13, and in the midst, and you want to highlight that, in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Go down to verse 16. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And so back to 2.1, you see that who is speaking here is none other than the resurrected Jesus Christ who walks among, who's in the midst of the seven lampstands. And he holds these seven stars in his hand. I want you to keep your place here, and I want you to turn to Exodus 17. And this is something that God showed me this week that I'm like, how did I miss this all these years? My wife and I are reading through uh, the Bible chronologically together. Highly recommend that for married folks. She reads out loud. I take my little highlighter pen, and I say, Holy Spirit, what are you highlighting? And then after she gets done reading the section for the day, I then pray and declare what the Holy Spirit has highlighted over our family, over this church. And then after I'm done, I wake my wife up and say, hey, babe, I'm just kidding. We pray together. We pray the word together. Exodus 17, I came across this. I'm like, oh, man, how did I miss this? Look at God speaking, verse 6, 17 of Exodus, Exodus 17, verse 6. He says, behold, I stand before you. Listen to that language. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the one who stands and walks in the midst of the lampstands. He is with us. He is among us. And he was saying to Moses with the children of Israel, I'm going to stand before you on that rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? How did I miss? I will stand before you on that rock. How did I not see that? 
I'm focused on Moses. I'm focused on the rock, the water, God doing a miracle. And the main point of that is not the stick. It's not Moses. It's not the rock. It's not the people. It's the fact that God was present with his people. (sighs) Guys, today, he's walking in the midst of us today. And from beginning to end, the Bible is about this. That God in Genesis wanted to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. All the way in Revelation, we'll get to it someday, the end. They will be my people. I'll be their God and they will be with me. Isaiah, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Man, the whole thing is this, is that God wants to be with you and me, and he's with us. His presence is with us. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's with you always. In his presence, there's a fullness of joy. If he is for you, who or what can be against you? A man, this is our God. This is our God. I'm with you always. Go and make disciples. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's a God that's with us. And you know my biggest issue in life? is I forget that. I get into trouble when I forget he's in the room. My meetings get boring I have with people when I forget that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in the room when we gather together in his name. He says, I'm in your midst. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. David said, Psalm 16, 8, I've set the Lord always before me, therefore I will not be shaken. you got to get your I will not be shaken swag back. How do you do that? By believing and acknowledging that he's in our midst. That he is with me because he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And I want you to understand that is the motive of why he, in Revelation 2, 1 through 7, listen, he is walking among the lampstands, not to judge, not to condemn, not to, but because he loves us, because he wants to be with us, because he, he's just passionate. When you look at the cross, the cross is, is the, 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 the display of God's love that he says, no, I want you to, 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 to kill me and, and I want to take on their sin so they can come into my family. His adoptive love. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what it says. It says, I know your works. So he's in our midst, and he knows our works. The Greek word there for know, and there's two Greek words for know. One is gnosis. It means that you continue to grow in your knowledge and understanding. But that gnosis, that word's not listed there. It's a different Greek word. It's called O-I-D-A. It means to know with complete or full knowledge. So Jesus isn't trying to figure out what's going on with your life. He's not trying to figure out what's happening in the church. No, he fully knows the why behind the what. He fully knows because he's that one in Revelation chapter one where it talks about eyes of flame of fire. Like he looks into the deep recesses of your heart And he knows everything. He knows it all about you. He knows it all about this church. He says, I know your works 
fully. And his evaluation, by the way, flawless and right on. Our evaluations, eh. His is perfect. He's perfect. This next word, I know your toil. Toil. It's a Greek word, kopos, K-O-P-O-S. It means this. It means to labor to the place where you're completely exhausted. Wow. That's a pretty good church, right? They labored to the place where they were completely exhausted, just worn out, tired, spent, nothing left in the tank, gave it all up. It describes a mental and emotional exhaustion. So this was a good church, guys. This church at Ephesus. Then it says patient endurance. Patient endurance. Uh, This Greek word means to remain under. When there's a lot of pressure, they remained under that pressure. There was riots that happened in this church where there's persecution that was happening, and they didn't run, they didn't hide, they remained under the pressure. They persevered with patient endurance. And then it says, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Well, that's a, that's a pretty rough statement from Jesus. We live in a society where tolerance is preached. But what I'm coming to find out, those who claim to be and proclaim tolerance, tolerance are usually the least tolerant. Because you can't tolerate what I believe, which is found in the Bible. Jesus is encouraging them, saying how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Jesus is affirming this church for not putting up with evil in the church. I want you to go down to verse 6, please. Same chapter, 2, verse 6. Jesus says, he says, Yet this I have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He doesn't hate the Nicolaitans. He hates their works. And their works are evil. And listen, people have and do evil works. But we don't hate the people But we also, loving the people doesn't mean we allow evil to come into the church. You you, you cannot, you you know, go back back to that verse, how you cannot bear with those for evil. Like, hey, you're not bringing in this nonsense into the church. You're not bringing this great evil into the church. You're not bringing this sin into the church. And just a a, a little church history here, some of the church fathers described the Nicolaitans as this. They lived in unrestrained indulgence. Another church father said, they abandoned themselves to pleasure like goats, leading a life of self-indulgence. 
We've had a polluted gospel come into the church that denies carrying the cross of Christ. James says, you have not, because you ask not. And when you do ask, your motives are off. You want to really spend it on yourself. That's what's going on. And these people that came into the church were like, oh, God's a God of grace. He understands if you're sleeping with your girlfriend. He ain't tripping over that. He understands if you don't want to give money. Grace, man. Grace, man. God understands. You don't want to serve at all. he's, He's good. He's good. You just go live your life, your best life now. Be very careful. That creeped into the church. It's in the church today. The Apostle Paul, he told the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 3, 8. He said, for now I really live if you stand firm in the Lord. My purpose is you becoming who God has called you to be. And when the church of Jesus Christ stops living for their purpose and dying to themselves so that others can fulfill their purpose, we're going to see revival happen. But the false gospel is focused on your purpose, your purpose, your purpose. And Jeremiah 29, 11, God has, yeah, that's true. It's true. He does have plans for you. But your plans will always require you to die for yourself, to yourself, so that others could find life. Be very careful of the self-help Christianity that the Nicolaitans brought into the church, and it's still here today. And again, God hates that. And God was saying, you guys are doing a great job by testing that. You can't bear with that evil. Let's continue on. Verse 2, it says, But I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, but I found them to be false. So Jesus is very clear in Matthew 7 that there's going to be wolves that come in in sheep's clothing, and they're going to say things that sound Christian, but their fruit on the tree, the fruit on the tree doesn't line up with what they're proclaiming. It's a different kingdom. Bad fruit on the tree. The Apostle Paul, he warns in 2 Corinthians 11, and he says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, but their end will correspond to their deeds. So it doesn't matter to me somebody's title that they come into town with. I want to see the fruit after a couple years. How many times have I seen someone coming in with this huge vision, but then they're ghosts? False apostles. We have to test them. 
And that's why in Timothy, Paul tells the church, be very careful laying hands on someone. Let them be tested first. Let them serve first. And if they prove themselves faithful, then they can become a deacon. So we have to be careful. And Jesus was affirming this church. Verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently. Thank you for patiently enduring during the sermon, guys. And bearing up for my namesake. I want you to highlight namesake. And you've not grown weary. Look at the motive right there. They did everything for the name of Christ. <laughs> Man, this is a good church. Listen to where we are so far, guys. And I want you to turn to Acts 19, please. So we see that this church really works hard. They serve the Lord. They work, 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 work. They're not slacking. They're not a bunch of pew sitters. They're doing it. They're persevering under hard conditions. They're not tolerating evil in the church because God is holy and his church is holy. Their doctrine was on point. They had discernment. They could, they could, they could tell between the real and the fake. And their motive was for the glory of God. This is a good church. Now, I want to go on some history real quick, okay? Acts 19, and let's look at the founding of this church in Ephesus. And, and, and it's listed here, Acts 19, verse 6. It says, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. How many of you want that today? They were about 12 men in all. He entered the synagogue and there for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom first. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, the way is what Christianity was called before it was called Christianity. It was a way of life, not just something to believe in anyway. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Listen, school of Tyrannus. Paul was there from 11 a.m. till 2 a.m., and he taught them every day from 11 a.m. to 2 a.m. He was building them up in teaching so they became strong in the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul, the one that wrote 13 letters. So these were well-taught people. This continued for two years, two years, two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, look at what just happened here. The Holy Spirit's poured out on the church at Ephesus. People are prophesying, tongues are breaking out, and great boldness is happening. And then there's Paul's school, his ministry school. It wasn't some MDiv program at your local college. This was the apostle Paul speaking to these people every day for two years, raising them up. And not only did they have great teaching from Paul, do you know Timothy was the pastor of the church there? First and second Timothy, that's why Paul wrote to Timothy, because he was over Ephesus. And then you know who else was the pastor? The guy that wrote this book of Revelation, the Apostle John. So it's not like they had some sorry pastors. No, they had the best pastors around. This church had some amazing leadership. And then you see it in verse 10. 
All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The gospel was going out. All, all that area, all that area in Turkey, gospel, gospel. Let's go to Acts 19, 11. Here we see what else was happening. God was doing extraordinary miracles. You want to highlight miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. And so uh, miracles are happening in this church. We see that right there. When you, when you read Acts 19, look at um, uh, verse 19. It says, a number of those who have practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of the all. So they continued to value, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Like people were getting rid of their, their, their cultist stuff, their demonic stuff, their witchcraft stuff, okay? They just burned it all. And the word continued to increase and prevail mightily. This was an amazing church that was seeing demonic stuff come free, people getting set free, books being burned. And because of this, there was a fear that came on the entire community. Look at verse 17. You see where it says, and fear fell upon them all? Think about that for a second. Think about, think about that church invite card. <laughs> Be careful walking up to our church. Don't just come in here. There was a fear. There was a reverence. And people always hate on my, my bow down logo with the lion wanting to bite your head off. But I, I, I you know, Ephesus would have had that. <laughs> Don't just walk up in our church. There's a fear and a reverence for the holiness of God. And, and you, you, the whole community was in awe of this God. And then in Acts 19, 23 for 29, you can read it at your own time, but this church was so moving that, that in Ephesus, there was the, the, the great, uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. They would sell idols and, and, and different things, and it, it was where cult prostitutes were and this business and money, and there's this huge pagan temple where all these rituals went down. But the church was so alive that it was putting them out of business. What it would be like to say? Strip clubs shutting down. And the mafia owners looking for us. Bars closing, drug dealers, right? Just, we're done with that. We're coming to Jesus. I don't know about you, but guys, who wants to be the church of Ephesus? Will, go ahead and put up those 12 things, please. Look at this list. We just went through it all. And you need, you need to look at this. They worked hard. They persevered. They were holy, no evil in the church. Like people were serious about their discipleship. They had discernment. Doctrine was on point. Their motive was for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit was poured out, prophesying tongues, boldness, Paul's school, unbelievable leadership, unbelievable teacher, gospel went out everywhere, miracles, demonic stuff, fear, and riots were starting because the kingdom culture was, was pushing out the lesser cultures, and people were coming in. Now listen, guys, 
all, all over America right now, right? People are going to conferences. Oh, I want that impartation. I want that stuff. I, I, I want to, yeah, God is really, God is, and people are going after and trying to get and trying to become. And, and, and listen, I'm going to just say, hey, listen, yeah, I want this for Bowdown too. But God looks at that, which like this is a church on steroids. This is a church that you would think like, how could it get any better? But then comes verse 4. Then comes verse 4, back to Revelation 2. And this is where we need you, God, more, more, more. Forgive me as a pastor for going to the conferences and reading the books and wanting the stuff so the church could grow, so that people could get set free. They, those are good things. There's not evil in my heart for that. But verse 4 and verse 5 got me this week. And Jesus says, I have this against you. Is that Jesus? Yeah, it's Jesus. I have this against you. See, these people were saved. They were born again. They were in the church. But Jesus had something against them. Feel the weight. Holy Spirit, help us to feel the weight of that, Jesus. And that's when we cry out, God, search me and know my heart. See if there is any wicked way and lead me on the right path. Please, Lord, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon our church, God. Have mercy on the churches in this area, God. Break out, God. Return your church to the first love. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. And do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus in love was warning his bride. All this stuff's amazing, guys. And by the way, he's the author of that stuff. He wants to see that happen. But the reason why I believe Ephesus is listed first in order is because God is restoring the first and greatest commandment to first place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the second is not the first. The second is the second. And in my zeal, zeal without knowledge destroys, I've wanted to love people, communities, ministry, go, 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 do, 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 the king, his kingdom. And I've given more love to my neighbor than to Jesus. Ministry has become my mistress. 
gone after another lover. I hope that we're all cut to the heart with this because we just want to see this. Church planters plant churches because like this should be happening in every church in America. This is what we want to see. That list. But man. Are we going to be a people that are known for one thing? That we really love Jesus. And we're passionate about him. And all of this stuff. It's secondary. If it comes or doesn't come, doesn't matter. I'm completely in love. The name bow down. It comes from the Hebrew word shakah, which is the first time in the Bible where worship is used. And that word is used when Abraham says to his servants, take the donkeys, my son and I, Isaac, the son of promise, we're going to go up and we're going to worship the Lord. Worship is not cheap. That was the most important thing in his life. He's going to sacrifice his son. And that's where the name Bow Down Church comes from because we want to be worshipers that worship, pushing everything aside. We want to give you, God, our best. And oftentimes, I give God my leftovers, my scraps, because I'm busy trying to bring this stuff. What is that? Is there more performance that needs to go in me? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? So my hope's not in me getting it. My hope's in you getting it, bow down. And maybe I'll get it someday. Because we're in this together. I don't want him to remove the lampstand. I don't want to get shut down. It's why our church is building T-Hop, the Tamron House of Prayer, because it is a place where nothing is done in that place except for worship, 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 kissing towards our great king because he is worthy. It is a house of prayer. My house should be called a house of prayer, not a house of preaching, but a house of prayer where we kiss towards God. And so, God, we need you to come and do it. Verse 5, it seems like a threat that he's going to come and remove it. But we'll read in another letter to the church, whom I love, I rebuke. Verse 7, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 
heaven. We're going to be with God in the paradise of God. We have conquered through the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. And because we haven't loved our lives unto death, that's what it says in Revelation 12. We'll get there someday. We've conquered because he's conquered on the cross. But this is about not losing your salvation. It's about the spirit of God being removed from a church, from a local fellowship. And guess what? This church that had all of that, God shut them down. All that stuff was happening. Oh, if we could just see miracles. Oh, if we could just see this. If only we could see that. If only we can get here. If only we can get there. And listen, they already were there. And God shut the church of Ephesus down, closed it down, because they didn't heed the word that Jesus gave them. And so I want you to write these three things down. It comes from verse 5. Remember, it's keep on remembering. It's point number one, remember, remember. Love fluctuates because of life. My wife, she just couldn't take her eyes off me in the beginning. Now I'm like, I'm here. Seasons happen where we move from being a Mary to a Martha because we're busy about the Lord's work. God understands, but he says, remember, you got busy for me. The world, the culture stuff just creeping in, chokes out the life of the seed. We got to remember what we used to do. And then it says repent. It would, it, it's not just repent, it's a one-time thing. It's a continuing thing that, oh, God, please, I want to think differently. I want to change. This should affect my schedule. This should affect my time. This should affect. And then it says do the works you first did. Schedule, prioritize. What did I used to do? What did I used to do? See, God set me up this week. Bill Hobbs gave me a book about the gift of tears, Corey Russell. So my day off this week, I read the book, went right through it, and not one tear. I said, God, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And guess what he said, Revelation 2.5. So I go into my quiet time, and I say, Google, give me some worship-soaking music. And it starts playing worship, soaking music, a three-hour set, just instrumentals, no words. I'm reading my Bible, trying to worship, and it's just dry bones in there. I don't know if anybody can relate. God, where are you? Didn't you remember I'm walking along submit? It's easy for you to say that, Chris. Hello. And then all of a sudden, a song came on. And it just wasn't a song. 
It was the song from when I was saved in 1998, and I was trying to get Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg out of my head. And I remembered a song when I was a little kid on prayer walks, and I would just sing it over and over again. I was 26 years old, just fresh into the kingdom. And it was this song. And by the way, you need to pray for ears to hear. That God would override my tone. And worship team, you can come up, please. The song was, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. Rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear. And let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. God worked through Google because there was not supposed to be that song. And then it went back to instrumentals. And I felt the Father's love just grip me. He says, let's go back, and I'm going to take you back. That is our song. And for who jumped on my song, it's okay. But just know, that's my song. <laughs> my daddy gave it to me. But you, you can borrow it. Those times as a young single man when I'd go off into the woods with a tent and a Bible and a jug of water. Worshiping and seeking the face of God. Can't remember the last time I did that. So, guys, pray for me. Pray for yourselves. That you and I, we would be a people that love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that would be the main thing. That would be the main thing. And everything else would be secondary. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are here, that you are with us. We ask you, God, to just purify our hearts. Things that have gotten in the way of just you and us being alone our intimacy with you, the blocks, whatever it is, God, we just ask you would just remove them, that you would keep our hearts, that there would be a pure passion, God, that would be for you and you alone, that we would love you, God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we would remember, that we would repent, and we would return and do the things that we once did Bring us back to you, Jesus, to the simplicity of loving you. That you would be the king of our heart. Purify us, God, I pray. And may a revival of love break out in this place. God, I need you, and I am so sorry. 
been worried about many things. But to be at your feet, like Mary, God, is where I want to be. God, if you can do that in our life, give us the gift of tears, of being broken before you, being lovesick for you, passion for you, God. Please, God, blow upon our hearts. God, that flame has gone out from where it once was. God, burn, create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit, God. We need you, Father, to pour out your spirit today. You would have mercy. And as we sing to you, God, and bless you and worship you, God, may we touch the deep recesses of your heart. May we fall in love again, God, I pray, and give you what you deserve. Help us be like the prodigal son who came to his senses when he realized it's so much better in my father's house. And we just want to return and be with you, Dad, today. So come and do it, God, during this time we pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.